Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about finance, money, and investing. I'm your host, Ray Trevis, and we broadcast locally on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally across the community radio network. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the microphone one of our regular contributors, Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money. Welcome back, Philippa. Thank you, Ray. Now, today's topic is really, really interesting because it really gets to the core of why we do this radio show. It's all about education and financial literacy. And ladies and gents, Philippa sent me through something called a HILDA report. Now, what's HILDA? Uh, That's a darn good question because I wasn't quite sure. So I looked it up and it says, Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia, H-I-L-D-A. Uh, a HILDA data survey that was done by the University of Western Australia back in 2016. Now, that sounds a little old, but Philippa, I guess the results from this data are still quite relevant, aren't they? Yes, because in that time we've had a pandemic and people have accessed $10,000 of their super. Twice. Twice. And most people still don't know what's even in their super because their employer puts it in. And and so I... The whole work that I'm doing is to educate women in financial literacy and the number of women that have said to me, I find money scary. I'm really sad to hear that because I guess one of the reasons I started the show to begin with was, Mm -hmm. and I'm very open and brazen about this, is that I wanted people to to think that OTG Capital was about good financial education. And so I I often thought that if people uh, associated my own name and the name of my company with good financial education. They'd come along and look at our product and hopefully, you know, invest with us. Um, that's not necessary, obviously. Ladies and gents, you're free and welcome to listen to our blogs anytime free of charge. Uh, same on the National Community Radio Network. But I, I think what worries me the most is still this gender disparity that this particular survey points out. Um, where we're talking about one in three men are not financially literate and one in two uh, women are not financially literate. And I guess, Philippa, with the work that you've done with your academy, Wise Girls uh, Money, this simply is you know, a, a statistic that comes home to roost far too often, isn't it? Yes, the thing that it goes all the way back to the fact that the schools don't spend a lot of time teaching it, if they do, Um one of the things that the report showed up that if money literacy, financial literacy is done at home from parent to child, particularly from mother to daughter, there's a stronger chance of these women having healthy attitudes and some kind of nous when it comes to handling money. Um, The thing I found was that the younger women who did the pilot research course under the age of 40, I had two groups under 40, over 40, and the young ones just gobbled up all the information I could give them. And the whole point was not just being financially literate but competent. And so they mm. actually had to get in there and do it. So when it came to the big session in the middle of the course about taking care of themselves, I said, as women, setting yourself up and taking care of yourself means that you're actually taking care of those who love you. So if anything happens to you, then it's very straightforward sorting out your estate and your insurance policy. So the more that you can do to set yourself up now, not only does it protect you in the event of life changes or illness, but it also puts money there as a buffer behind you to get you through it. That's the whole idea of insurance. 
and not only that, with your wills and estate planning, um, you're making it easy for your loved ones to take care of you after you've gone in terms of your estate and where you want it to go. Mm. So it also means that if you're well organised when you have children, that they will also be taken care of if anything happens to you and you won't be relying on GoFundMe pages and somebody's charity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so, I'm often surprised when I see those, but I, I guess they're done out of need. But I think one of the fundamental things, and I, I when reading the, the background research on today's show, I actually cast my mind back to a show I did almost three years ago when, when I first started this radio show, and I worked with the Financial Planning Association, uh, the FPA, which is no longer, they've merged with someone else. I can't keep up uh, with all the recent mergers, et cetera. But the FPA did a, a series of educational programs for children. And so they broke up the, the zero to sevens, sevens to 14s, and then 14s to 21s. And I found that data really surprisingly good. And um, when I offered to, uh, for example, volunteer at our local schools here on the Northern Beaches, the principals were very, I think, very uh, appreciative. But I think because the, the, the program is so full, they just pushed back and said, look, Ray, we, we just can't fit you in. We've got so much other stuff going on. So it never really happened. And I think, Philippa, I, I think good financial education, You, I think you highlighted it yourself, is that it starts at home. And it's not just mother, daughter, father, son, but I think it's important that children see that healthy relationship between husband and wife, mother and father, uh, and that shared responsibility because one of the things, and I think you've seen this yourself, I go, like you, to a lot of investment conferences where I meet everyday investors, everyday mums and dads uh, across a very broad range of ages. But the preponderance of men that seem to dominate discussions when they're with their partners, I get rather concerned because I'm looking at the wife and I get these looks as, you know, the, the guy's sort of looking at me and, what are you looking at her for? She's not going to give you anything. You know? I'm the guy that signs the cheque. And it's a little confronting, I've got to say. Do you see the same thing? This is why I'm teaching women, Ray. <laughs> so that's a yes. Yes, because the whole point is to empower women because one in two marriages are failing, particularly during the pandemic. And so women end up with lump sums of money that they've got no idea what to do with in terms of a property settlement. And I've had discussions with women family lawyers who have said to me, we need some kind of circuit breaker. So when these women come out of their property settlement, of course, the first thing they try to do is buy themselves another home. That's what they all, there's a thing around financial safety and security for women, and it's pretty much to do with pieces of real estate, whether it's investment property or a home to live in. Mm. And then after that, I don't know what to do. Now, a lot of women are scared of being on their own they haven't lived on their own for a long time and they launch straight into yet another relationship with a guy that sums up how much they're worth and launches at it. <laughs> and the problem that we've got is that history repeats itself Ooh, and, sad and you have two property settlements, you're pretty much wiped out. Now, because the laws of um, going through the family court, the laws around divorce and super have, have changed a lot since it was first brought in in December 2008. So what we're trying to do is to educate women to have the confidence to manage their money and understand why they do what they do. And then if they've made those sorts of uninformed decisions, 
to give them the information to make good decisions. So they not only learn financial, to be financially literate, they learn to do their financial literacy so it becomes competence. And in my experience of teaching women, they inch their way through things step by step. They don't look at the big picture and launch because it's all about security. So they don't know what they don't know. So the more that we can teach them what they need to know, then they stand a better chance of making better informed decisions for themselves. The upshot of that is the more they're informed for themselves, the better outcomes they have for their family. I guess one of the the base points that I wanted to to raise in today's discussion is what the HILDA data actually tries to measure. And given that you and I are both in the industry, when I looked at, and we are talking five Hilda questions uh, that they ask uh, this particular survey group and then base uh, these projections on financial literacy. And when I look at them, they're very, very base level. But I guess mm. uh, that's a good starting point because if I use my own children who are all in their 20s as a good starting point, um, I, I think sometimes their lack of financial literacy comes from the fact is that they're comfortable and they're living under mum and dad's roof and they don't have to worry about it too much. But if you don't have that secure roof, and as you've rightly said, women uh, going through divorce are looking for safety and security. So real estate's a great place to start. So I thought it'd be a good exercise to actually look at these questions. So question mm. one, and and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, Philip, because I know you, you can answer these questions, but suppose you put $100 into a no-fee savings account with a guaranteed interest rate of 2% per year. You don't make further payments into the account. You don't withdraw money. How much would be in the account at the end of the first year once the interest payment is made? And so the basic question is, do you understand interest? Okay, so that's the first question. Yeah, Yeah. I I guess that really surprises me because given, you know, I I run a fund where I buy and sell money. And so knowing the interest rate, knowing the difference, and, and we've just recently gone through 15 months of the Reserve Bank raising interest rates. Oh. And so it, it can't be that they haven't heard about it because, man, it's all over the news cycles. So mm. I, I guess this one really surprises me that many people failed this question. They don't answer $102, you know, 2% of 100 is mm. 2 bucks, And so, yeah, you know, it, it should be reasonably simple that percent says it as well, percentum. Latin cent is a hundred. You know, we got it in centimeter. You know, that, that, you know we've right. got it all over the place. But um, you, you I, just suddenly nailed it when you said it's the Latin for a hundred. How many people would know that? Well, because I have an Italian background, but I mean, I just look at that and just go, well, of course it makes sense. And I'm just looking at and Only I assume, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. And this is I the know. point: is the fact that if it's not taught in schools alongside their mathematics. Um, where's it going to go? How are you going to uh, apply it to your super fund if you don't even know what's in your super fund? And, and the I only mean, reason people knew at, about their super fund in the pandemic was the fact they were told they could get they could money get out ten of it. grand out. But I mean, yeah. I, I, and I some of them because, wiped out their super fund because I lament because. You know, I found out much to my chagrin, I guess, is that, you know, kids at high school these days are allowed to drop maths after year 10. And I'm sitting there going, no, they shouldn't be allowed to drop maths, even if it's basic mathematics, because then at least you can teach commerce, you can teach financial education in mathematics, because the application of interest rates and compound and simple interest, these are the kind of basics that people should really understand, not just for investing, but just Every day-to-day bit of life, I mean, a credit card, a bank account, 
you know, these predicate you know, the kind of basics that we, we just aren't addressing. And I, I offered to teach it at my old school and they said, no, it doesn't fit in with the academic curriculum. I got told the same thing and, and so, I guess I, yeah, I scratched my head. I scratched well, my head. What we do in this six-module course is just that. I teach them how debt actually works. And so whether you're looking at it from a debt perspective of compounding and debt amortisation and paying it off in terms of credit cards and home loans, but also the reverse, which is adding interest growth and compound interest. So we actually do those exercises because the first thing they have to do is learn how to budget. Once they get some savings going, um, managing their money, that's the first criteria, then I start teaching them about what to do with what they've got. So, so that hold that we're just about at a break right now, Philip. Right. Uh, okay, we're here at a break here on Dollars and Making Sense. We are going to go for a short break and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about finance, money and investing. I'm your host, Ray Treveson, and at the microphone today, I have Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money, and we are talking about financial literacy. Now, before we went to the break, and I do apologise, Philippa, we were running out of time and I had to go to break, but we were talking about understanding an interest rate and that you teach this in your module uh, with women. Now, the second question is then about inflation, which I guess is directly tied to interest rates. Imagine now that that interest rate on your savings account was 1% per year and inflation was 2%. So the question is, after one year, would you be able to buy more than today, exactly than today, or less than today with the money in this account? So it's simply asking, do you understand the concept of inflation against the interest rate that you've got coming, say, for your bank account. Mm-hmm. And again, surprisingly, uh, this the, uh, disappointing results. People didn't understand that, that the inflation rate eats into mm-hmm. their savings. And in this particular instance, with uh, interest only at 1% and inflation at 2 that means that your money is actually going backwards. Now, Philippa, is this concept something that uh, a lot of the people that do your course find hard to grasp or is it? Something no, once I, no, once I explained it to them that back in the 1980s, the houses were worth fifty dollars or $60,000 while the interest rates were 20%. Mm. But the houses, because the wages back then, um, you could afford to buy a home. The hardest part was the high rate of interest that it climbed to um, meant that $600 a month 
mortgage repayment, $595 of that was pure interest. Yeah. So uh, when you when you live right. through that and people say, oh, my God, the houses back then were only $30,000, yep, but your wages weren't as high as they are now. Now we have the thing going out backwards because, well, those interest rates probably took about, oh, 12 years to finally start coming down through to the early mid-90s um, where the house prices stayed stable for a bit and then gradually very, very slowly crept up, but people could still afford to buy them. When you've got the, the situation we had because of the pandemic where the interest rates were chopped right down to almost nothing, the banks were throwing money at people to go and buy these homes. And when new homes aren't being built and they're still turning over the same stock, with the demand because it was cheap, cheap, cheap interest rates, people understood that part. What they didn't see coming and no one did was 18 months of increasing interest rates 13 times. Yeah, the highest rate of uh, increased interests uh, in, in literally the last 50 years we've Correct. just gone through. So I think that's that right. brings some context. So, and, and that's the whole point. The argument for doing that is about inflation. So people are really struggling to understand. They understand that inflation means that you're buying less and less because they're feeling it. So now yeah. the literacy becomes the reality. And so the interest rates are being put up because inflation is very stubborn. What the Reserve Bank is finally working out, that the only people they're hitting up are young families, the people who own their own homes or in their 50s, 60s and 70s, it doesn't affect them. Yeah, there's been, some interesting, yeah, there's been some interesting editorial on that, I guess, Philippa, about that, and uh, even with a new governor in place, uh, many have argued That's that she... She's still cut from the same cloth that mm. uh, that uh, Mr. Low, Dr. Low was, and so mm. we we haven't really moved on. So, look, moving on. Uh, question three of the Hilda Data Survey talks about diversification, and so the question is: buying shares in a single company usually provides a safer return than buying shares in a number of different companies. True or false? And again, it's a reasonably simple question because. Um, I, I guess the safer return in one single company simply isn't there. So that's a false statement. So diversification is that uh, I have often, you know, when I meet um, when I meet investors at conferences, I say, "Oh, I'm diversified. I've got four banks <laughs> and, yeah, and four different markets. deposits." <laughs> yeah, and 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 I sit there and go, "Well, that's not actually diversification." Uh, and so the the concept of asset classes is something that, you know, needs to be introduced. Is that a, a, a bridge too far, do you think, for the basics, Philippa, or are we still okay. needing to, 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 to start at, uh, at basic blocks? Well, the basic blocks, diversification is not putting your eggs all in one basket. That's a good way of putting it, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So they, you just have to spread your, your money across. I actually teach this. When we get to the money part of the course and we're looking at the difference between shares and property, um, when people have 16 investment properties and the market drops um, and or the interest rates keep climbing, they have to make decisions about what they're going to do in terms of the asset holding. But if they'd had a broader portfolio of assets, then there could be some counterbalance. Mm. So I actually teach quite specifically when we're doing shares and managed funds how that works in terms of research, diversification, 
and why you would invest in that because that's where your superannuation is and they need to understand it. Okay, so moving on, question four out of the five questions now is risk. And so their question is an investment with a high return is likely to be high risk. Now, it's only true or false. Obviously, we can have a discussion about variables and black and white or shades Mm -hmm. of grey. But in essence, we know that, you know, a high return is likely to be high risk. So that statement is actually true. And, you know, you and I have talked about this and I've had many guests on here that, you know, we keep on saying to people that if the returns are too good to be true, they yeah. usually are too good to be true. And so I think that's a good, um, that's a good uh, rule of thumb. And the last question they ask is money illusion. Now, this one I particularly like. Suppose that by the year 2020, your income has doubled, but the prices of all the things you buy have also doubled. In 2020, you'll be able to buy more than today, exactly the same as today, or less than today with your income. Now, again, it's one of those interesting things, the money illusion. You know, I've heard similar uh, anecdotes where you're asked, if you were given the opportunity to invest $100 today or spend $100, what would you do? Or spend 50 and, mm. and invest 100 etc. So this illusion, again, it, it at least gets people thinking. And so I guess it's a good point to, to then plant that idea in people to start thinking ahead. Mm. Uh, and, and again, Philippa, you'd see this uh, again with the people that come along to your course, that that's the whole whole concept, I guess, is to get them to start thinking about longer term rather than just hand to mouth. Two years ago, nobody thought they would be hand to mouth. <laughs> And that's this has right. crept up on them like a boiling a frog, isn't it? When you drop a frog into hot water, it jumps out, but because it's cold-blooded and you can increase the temperature, it doesn't notice it. And the problem yeah. we've now yeah. had is this whole behavioural shift with money coming out of superannuation back when they thought they needed it to find now that when they're in hardship and they do need it, that money's not there. Yeah. And nobody saw 13 interest rate rises uh, no, certainly not no, both governments. Absolutely not. Well, all the markets, there were very, very few people that saw that coming. And I think no. they were looking they were looking for rate increases, but certainly not at that kind of uh, at, at that kind of clip. We've now, almost on, doubled the mortgage repayments, Ray, because I know. Um, I'm feeling it. I, I'm I, I, I'm paying one, don't worry. I, I get it. I get it. But the so, thing is what it's done, the only upside to this is it's getting people to focus one on budgeting their money, two, managing their money, three, figuring out whether or not they can afford to put food on the table, that's management and that's budgeting. The sad part is they're around at the local food bank because they can't afford to. Now, yeah, these are normal normal people that landed up in here, but they're now discussing inflation for the first time over their cornflakes. And, and I guess this is one of the things that the Reserve Bank uh, uh, board will hopefully understand that one day when they're sitting on their you know, very fat uh, public service salaries that we don't all have that grace. Now, moving on, financially literate uh, adult Australians. Interestingly, the statistics point across the states that Canberra, believe it or not, ACT has very, very high literacy. And that kind of doesn't surprise given the, the high employment rate there. I guess what I had to um, notice, I don't know if you noticed this, Philippa, um, well, poor old Tasmania didn't even rate in the statistics no. and given uh, you know, what what uh, issues they've got longer term. Uh, that one kind of uh, was a bit sad to see. Um, the statistics also go on to, to mention 
the difference between uh, Australian-born and migrants and those that have high school uh, compared to tertiary qualified and those that are employed and those not in the labour market. It's no surprise that those that are higher uh, literacy have education. higher finan- yeah, higher, fi- uh, higher education, have higher financial literacy. The, the correlation there, a corollary there, is no surprise. No. I guess what continues to surprise me, though, is the gender difference, um, and that I think you have rightly pointed out um, starts very much in the home. Um, I, I guess one of the things that also comes through is does being financially literate matter? I mean, that that to be... Wow, you know, is that is that a trick question? You know, I, I sit there and go, well, God, of course it does. Yeah, but Ray, <laughs> you're in the does. money game, and the thing is with these people, they're struggling to figure out what specials are on this week and whether or not they can afford them. And what, and the other thing is the only upside to a lot of all of this mm-hmm. is the fact that people have figured out when they're feeding their family to get rid of all the junk processed food and the snacks and focus on the basics to actually feed their children the best way they can. So and a lot they, of those... They end up feeding their family a lot more healthy, healthily well, than they did in they, the past. They, well, that's the struggle that they've got. And so what Coles and Woolworths responded by doing is dropping all the prices on junk food Yeah, I, 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 I Until think people I'll, woke up to it and told them to stop it. I'll I'll, I'll 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 keep my rant about the the supermarkets for another time. Given their, their profits and the fact yes. that so much of the inflation that we are having to live with price today gouging. is not because of wages uh, fluctuations, but no. because of price gouging. Now, the couple of last pages of this particular report talks about financially literate. How financially literate are teenagers? And again, the corollary there comes back to family, as we've seen throughout. And and with the last few minutes of today's show, Philippa, I want to really focus on the last slide, which is where to from here. So what are the focus areas that you think should be considered and prioritised? Well, from my perspective, um, the gender disparity, and then someone cheerfully said who should have known better, oh, the gender disparity has come down to 13%, don't you know? Yeah. I said it'll take another two generations before it's even equal yeah. because of the way society is set up and the, and the men mostly who run it. So don't get too excited. I said the problem you've got where it's actually affecting women are the older age groups that grew up with all of this. Yeah, and, and, and so we're, we're, if we're, we're going to change anything, we've got to get to the women to educate themselves and their families because it's not going to come from men. They're, they're, that, that is not their focus. Highly educated men are more financially literate and make reasonably good decisions. So do highly educated women. But for the middle group and women who are not highly educated, how are we going to get to them so that they can be and competent and look after their kids? Not everybody goes to university. And on that note, Philippa, we've just about run out of time. I think there's some really good food for thought. It's always a pleasure to have you on Dollars and Making Sense. I look forward to having you back on the show in the new year. There's so much more that we have yet to talk about, my word. It was nice to catch up with you recently in Melbourne. And Philippa from Wise Girls Money, thank you for being on Dollars and Making Sense. Thank you, Ray. Pleasure to be here as usual.